it's great to be in the presence of God, right? I mean, you know, that I can't remember the words of the song. I thought I must mention it when I get up. But, you know, the one about the incense, day and night. And I thought, I think I could stay here day and night in the presence of God, worshipping Jesus. What a, it's so good, isn't it, to be in the presence of God. And we, we just get a taste, a foretaste of what's to come, that it will be day and night. And it will be amazing in the presence of God. And as we were singing that song, you know, I don't know about you, do you ever get a little bit distracted from time to time? Well, I do from time to time. And I, as I'm worshipping, Jesus, you're amazing. And then a thought came to me, do you remember what you said this morning? It was a bit harsh with Jenny. Ah, you know, but in heaven, when we're with God, all that's gone. All the stuff, all the nonsense, all the sin. We're in the presence of God. But anyway, let's get on with the, the talk today. And uh, we're returning to our Exodus series, as Steve said. We had a four-week break for Advent. Then we had Christmas Day. Some of us were here. And then we had a week off on New Year's Day. And then two weeks, the last two weeks on communion. So sometime back, I don't know, sometime in November, we were preaching through Exodus. And um, I don't know if you remember, we were speaking on the plagues, the 10 plagues. And uh, we only covered nine of them, and the 10th one is today. And there was this intense battle between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the oppressor, bringing pain and suffering upon God's people's, on God's people, making their lives bitter. And Pharaoh was determined to keep the Israelites enslaved and oppressed for his advantage and for his well-being. And God called Moses to bring his people out of Egypt because of this suffering. I'm having a bit of a challenge with this thing here, but anyway, we'll carry on. But Moses' cry was, let my people go. And the plagues were there to get Pharaoh's attention and to give him the opportunity to release the Israelites. And the plagues were also there to demonstrate God's power and supremacy. Pharaoh answered God at one point and said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? An affront to God. Pharaoh hardened his heart and he had his heart, heart hardened by God and refused to let the people of God go. So now we reach the 10th plague. And uh, there's a lot of Bible readings this morning. A lot, it's two chapters pretty much. So I'm going to get someone else to read it. Emily, if you could come up and read. Steve, would you give Emily the mic? Because I think it'd be good to have a different voice rather than mine. Um, so this is from Exodus 11 to chapter 11 to 12:30. Now the Lord said to Moses, "I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let." You go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. 
Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep of or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and to put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If there is le- some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloaks tucked into your belts, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign to you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the lord a lasting ordinance for the seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast on the first day remove the yeast from your houses for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh day must be cut off from israel on the first day hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it is on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance of the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your house, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat um, unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop dipped in the blood of the ba- in the basin and put some of the blood on the tops and on both sides of the door frames. 
None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frames and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance to you and your descendants. Then you, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover, sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborns in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officers and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there were loud wailings in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Thank you, Emily. A lot of verses there. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story, but if we're not, um, we'll pick it up as we go. And um, it's one thing to have your gods and goddesses defeated, to have your livestock killed, which was what was going on in the first nine plagues, to have frogs and gnats infest your houses and your land. That's one thing. But to kill your firstborn is taking it on a whole different level. The firstborn son will die across all of Egypt, from Pharaoh to a slave girl, even the cattle. And of course, when we read this, we can think, this is really harsh. This is, wow, this is really damaging, outdated. But this is a big moment in the Bible story, in the Bible narrative, because God is after a people. And God has promised to Abraham that you will be the father of many nations. We, We covered Genesis some time back. And his goodness and mercy will follow his people, and it flows through every page of the Bible. He will be glorified, and his people will be blessed if we follow after him. But there are these moments in the Bible, these wake-up call moments, where we read it, and, and of course, we love the stuff where we, it talks about the love of God, and that is always in there, that's in every page. But there are these moments of a wake-up call where God's justice becomes evident. And uh, I don't know if you remember this story from uh, 2 Samuel, the guy called Uzzah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name right. Someone will correct me, but it's U-Z-A-H. That's how, you, that's how it's spelled. And he was uh, transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and it wobbled a bit, and he put his hand up to stop it shaking too much or from tipping off. And in that moment, God struck him down dead. And we can go, oh, that's how does that come about? But it's because it was written down. You're not to do this. The holiness of God. This is untouchable. Get a grasp of who God is. And then there's the stuff around Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, where they came and give quite a lot of, I would imagine, quite a lot of money because they sold their land. But what they did, they lied. They lied and said, here's all of our money but they kept it back for themselves. And there's these moments in the Bible that talk about the the justice of God coming through. 
And then last week we looked in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and looked at what communion was, was like and that some had fallen ill and some had even died. Because there's these moments in the Bible that reveal God is a God of love, absolutely, 100%. But also he is a God of justice. And Pharaoh, he was given some opportunities, but he faced up to the judgment of God as well as the Egyptians. There was many opportunities for Pharaoh to turn around, but his stubbornness of heart didn't allow him to. And you know, we know, even with all the advancements and thousands of years after Pharaoh and stuff that, we can fall short. We know we fall short. It's easy for us to perhaps align with the Israelites in this story, but we all know we fall short because we're not going to align ourselves with Pharaoh, right, who's done some pretty terrible things. We align ourselves with the Hebrew people. But there's this sense of us all falling short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Through the previous nine plagues, there were opportunities for Pharaoh to repent, to change direction, to surrender to God. He not only refused, but he hardened even further as time went on and become an even more cruel oppressor to the Israelites. And we know that when we make mistakes, it affects others. And absolutely, with Pharaoh, this happened. But it's important, even amongst that, when Pharaoh had made some of these mistakes, or when he did, there were moments when the... the is, is, I'm sorry about this. This is slightly bothering me now. This, uh, has, I'll carry on. I've just bent it. If it's irreparable afterwards, apologies. <laughs> but anyway, it now fits my ear and no one else's. Because <clears throat> some of Pharaoh's associates did turn around, did say, we should do what God has said in this instance. Some of the Egyptians did follow the instructions of God. And Pharaoh, remember, killed the male babies. Outrageous moment. So when we read this story and we see the judgment of God, you can see the pattern. Pharaoh's got worse and worse, and God says enough is enough. He and the Egyptians gained much by the suffering of God's people and Pharaoh did not want to relinquish all those benefits. So there is a debt to be paid and the debt and the punishment fits the crime. But it's still a challenging bit of scripture to grasp. Why not just forgive? You know, if he's a God of love, why not just forgive? But someone's got to pay because God's love and justice go hand in hand. We can't just have a God of love without a God of justice. And we've covered this before, but if, you, if there's been something, a terrible event happen, we all want justice. God is a God of love. You know, if you, if you love someone, you know within you there is, the, there is a moment that you want justice if they've been terribly wronged. It's good to have a correct understanding of God and who he is. He judges, but he also loves and gives us grace. And Pharaoh was given lots of opportunities to do a U-turn. So God is going to bring one more plague on Egypt, which will result in the freedom and deliverance of the people of God and death to the firstborn throughout Egypt. The destroyer will go through the land and destroy the firstborn male. 
And the warning comes from Moses to Pharaoh. And then God says to Moses, and this is how I'm going to protect you and the people of God through the Passover. And this is such a weighty moment in the events of the Bible and the events of the Hebrew people. And it's called the Passover because the judgment of God is going to pass over his people. Chapter 12 has been read out by Emily. Verses 1 and 2 says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel. And that's important, so important, this event, that times and dates are changed and be recalibrated in accordance with this event. It's a reset moment for, it, for the Israelites. The Passover is the moment that defines this group of people. There's a reconstitution of Israel at this moment. They've been marked by oppression and captivity. And freedom is coming and is made possible by the Passover. And of course, our times, our dates have been recalibrated because of Jesus. They're now a new nation, leaving behind Egypt and the disorder and chaos into a new order. God's order, marking the fulfilment of God's word. And there's also this other part. It says, tell the whole community of Israel. Obey these instructions, verse 24 says, as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you, as he has promised, observe this ceremony. And as we've seen over the last two weeks, as we've looked at communion, engagement with that, it is also about community, our communion together as brothers and sisters. And, you know, we live in such an individualistic world and we have a constant voice saying, you be you. It's all about you. Follow your dream. You can do anything. But this is about community, the family of God, the people of God. God comes for a people. Yes, we know that God knows the number of hairs excuse me, upon your head, that he loves you. But when he called you, when he called me, he called us into the family of God. We're the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. It's not an alone thing over in the corner. And, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time now, many years, 24 when I become a Christian, so a lot of years. And I've never come across anyone really who's made it on their own. They've got fed up with church for one reason or another. Sometimes, you know, they have good reasons. But we can't make it on our own. We just can't. I need you. And surprisingly, you need me. God's instructions are detailed and specific. Eat the whole lamb, cooked over a fire, bread made without yeast, Have your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet. There's this image, this picture of being ready. The day is almost here. The moment is almost upon us. There is this sense of anticipation. God is going to set us free. And last week when we approached communion, likewise, there was this sense of anticipation. We're going to meet with God an anticipation of what's to come. We get a glimpse of him now, but we're going to know him in the fullest of measure. 
be with him forever. That, that incense rising up day in, day out, night after night, in the presence of God. That sense of anticipation. And that's what these Israelites would have been thinking about when they, take, when they engage with the Passover. And verse 14 says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance to celebrate. They are to remember God's deliverance. They're to participate in this in all the years to come, from generation to generation. And this participation is a foundational event. By doing this in community, they did it in families, they're reenacting this event by eating, smelling, touching. They enter in throughout the generations. It's their story of redemption. It's their story of being passed over. But it's also our story. And the similarities and connection to the Lord's Supper are right there before us. And there's more. And this participation is made clear who it is for. And it's for the community of Israel, for those who are circumcised. It says a bit later in in verses 43 onwards. In other words, those who are in a covenant with God. And that's what we're in, a covenant relationship with God. It's a moment for the family of God. But even when we take communion in a little while, there's this sense, even if you're not in the family of God, you don't know Jesus right now, there's a moment where you can come and know Jesus and be part of that. Verse 3 says in chapter 12, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the, day, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And verses 5 and 6, The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. The deliverance of the Israelites, of, the, of Israel, comes down to a lamb. This lamb becomes a sacrifice for God's people. The bloody death of an innocent lamb. This is the only way for protection. But a lamb without blemish, without defect. The lamb was looked after for four days in the household. Four days. Tough time if you're about seven or five years old, I reckon. Cute little lamb looking after it for four days, but to be slaughtered. But that's God's way. And it's all to do with the debt having to be paid, covered by the blood of a lamb, an unblemished lamb. And the lamb was slaughtered at twilight. In the same way, Jesus was slaughtered at twilight. We'll see in a bit, Jesus is the greater lamb. And verse 7 says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames. The lamb is sacrificed and his blood will protect the families inside the house from the destroyer. 12 verses 21 to 23 say this, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, 
He will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The blood of the lamb will protect you. The destroyer will pass over you and your household. Judgment will not come to you because a substitute, the lamb, has died in your place. The Passover is a victory over death, a gift from God to an undeserving people. It's not the outcome of good against evil. You know, the terrible Pharaoh and the poor Israelites, although they were downtrodden and oppressed and stuff like that. It's so much more and deeper than just good versus evil. A bunch of hyssop is instructed to be used to cover the doorframe. And Jesus, I don't know if you remember the story, when he was on the cross, he was offered up some sour wine and vinegar on a bunch of hyssop. There's so many comparisons and, and connections with the Passover and what happened to Jesus on the cross. And they're not random events. These are there to help us. And it points to a greater, more complete sacrifice. And that's Jesus. And the truth is, we all need a Passover lamb. Picture this story. <clears throat> the day before Passover, two Israelites are having a conversation. And it goes like this. They're having a chat on, in Goshen where they lived. <clears throat> and the first guy says this. Are you a little nervous about tonight? And the other guy says, well, God told us what to do through Moses. It's pretty clear. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb? Haven't you daubed the doorpost and the lintel? Are you packed and ready to go? Have you eaten the Passover meal with your family? And the other guy says, well, I've done that. Of course I have. But a lot has happened. There's been a lot of trouble around here lately. In fact, it's been pretty scary. And now the threat of the firstborn being killed as the angel of death coming tonight, of course I've put the blood there. I've only got one, son. You've got three. I'll be glad when tonight's over. And the other one says, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death arrives and kills all of the firstborn. Which one of those two fellas lost his son? Well, the answer is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the grounds of their intensity of faith or even clarity of faith, but on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb. The blood silences the accuser over our lives. The blood protects the firstborn son in the Passover. The blood silences the accuser over our lives. And the assurance is in the blood of the Lamb. It's not in the assurance of how great your faith is. It's in the blood of the Lamb. It's not according to how, what our hereditary is, our background, our history. It's because of the blood of the Lamb. And it also says in that passage, if you go out on your own, you know, go in the house, stay in the house. And if you go out on your own, 
you will, you will die. The destroyer is coming and he's not picking and choosing. You stay in your house. That's God's word. It's good to know God's word and it's good to obey God's word. And we're no less guilty before God than Pharaoh and the Egyptians or, or the Israelites. It just looks different. We all fall short, as Romans 3.23 says. And the Passover is a sacrifice, is a, is more, sorry, is a forerunner to the perfect sacrifice. The Passover is not the ultimate deliverance. There's a more radical, bigger, deeper solution required. We have a spiritual debt that we can't pay. And the Israelites were called out of Egypt into the promised land. And we're called out of our Egypt, out of slavery to sin and death. And all that that brings, and all the fruits of that, and all the mess-ups that brings, into God's family, into relationship with him. And all that that brings, the blessings. Jesus' sacrifice was once, one final act, to deal a death blow to death itself. And Jesus at the Last Supper is celebrating the Passover with his disciples and he's making a huge statement. There is a presider. When the Passover happens and as they did it over the years and centuries and stuff like that, there's a presider over the meal. I guess often it would be the father of the home probably explaining what it was all about, what was going to happen. And he would say along the lines, the presider would say, This is the bread of our affliction. But what Jesus is saying, as he's having the Passover with his disciples, this is my body. In other words, this is my affliction. I'm going to suffer for you. To give you ultimate freedom from sin and death forever. Not just from an oppressor. Complete liberation. And three things are needed for the Passover. Unleavened bread, four cups of wine, and a lamb. And the lamb was not at the table with Jesus and his disciples. And this night, Jesus is saying, I'm the lamb. And all of history is moving towards this one event. The Passover event in Exodus was not the last chapter. Even though, even though deliverance came, we need another one who would deliver us out of more than physical captivity and oppression into complete restoration. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says this, Christ is our Passover lamb. The Passover is intrinsically linked to Jesus and him being our Passover lamb. Jesus is the greater, the more complete sacrifice. And our anticipation of what is to come, <clears throat> our participation, our remembering and our celebrating, all mirrored in the Passover, in our own celebration of communion. And maybe you didn't hear all the connections that I maybe went too quick with or whatever, but I've got one last point that I want us to consider. And the point is, behold the Lamb of God. <clears throat> and this is what it says, John 1 verse 29. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist is, John the Baptist is saying, Look, look intently. 
Don't miss this. Take it in. Grasp it. God is giving his beloved son on the cross. He's going to die for us. And on the cross, you know the story, or almost certainly you know the story. Jesus says this, why have you forsaken me? And the father pays the price in his silence. Jesus is killed at twilight because the lamb had to be sacrificed at twilight. Jesus is the lamb of God who not only delivered from Egypt, you know, oppression and captivity, but he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And you know, there's no better way as we behold the lamb of God is together to take communion. And so we're going to take communion again, but I'm going to hand over to Steve to lead us through.